0: Yeah, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, can you hear me? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. It's so good. I'm sorry about the miscommunication. Oh,
1: it's all right. I had, yeah, I had this marked on my calendar, so I uh, was not looking at my email list, uh, <laughs> your message. But glad we could make it work.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, quickly introduce myself. My name's Isabella, <laughs> uh, host of The Road to Somewhere and i think that um it's gonna be amazing this podcast episode and start off in a good good um good way because as you probably know my audience is mainly young adults and you know the thing that you strive for the thing that you're kind of um you know talking about and 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 making everybody aware is something that's going to affect all of us so i think it's going to be an amazing episode (laughs)
1: So the, I
0: mean that's the audience I go for too. So perfect. All righty. Um, do you wanna do you wanna start the podcast episode off? Just introducing yourself. What's the kind of structure that you'd like to go for? Or I mean your show. I'm, I'm whatever, uh, <laughs> just wanna yeah, make yeah. you feel. Just wanna make you feel comfortable. I don't wanna. Don't wanna <laughs> okay. So um, I'll start. I'll just start now i'm recording okay. this episode i'm recording this if that's all right with you yeah yeah perfect. Great. okay so hello guys welcome back to another podcast episode i am your host isabella and i am here with a very very special guest ethan um would you like to introduce yourself tell us a bit about yourself sure i am ethan brown i am
1: the host of the sweaty penguin podcast it is a comedy environmental podcast presented by Uh, PBS's climate initiative peril and promise and we're all about trying to make climate change less overwhelming less politicized and more fun so happy to be here to chat with
0: you (laughs) thank you happy to have you on here um I was doing a little bit of research on yourself if you don't mind (laughs) of course (laughs) and um I think that it's such an important aspect you know of how we have to be aware about how the environment is changing and though some people are very quick to kind of dismiss it and just say no everything's fine we know that it's not you can see that it's not at times and how do you feel about kind of the future really being in the youth's hands like are you optimistic are you not optimistic how is that kind of your viewpoint on it
1: it's an interesting question and i think it's a tough one because ultimately you're right we have seen a certain amount of damage already that is here to stay we Mm -hmm. have uh, warmed the planet by about 1.1 degrees celsius we're seeing (laughs) Um, we're seeing hurricanes floods heat waves uh antarctic ice shelves collapsing all this scary stuff Um, But at the same time, I think some of the reasons to be optimistic too often go unsaid. So I'm here in the United States, and here we have our emissions peaked in 2007. They're down about 12% since then. Our electricity uh, from coal is down 58%, I think, in Britain. You're in Britain, right? Yeah. (laughs) I think there you're doing even better than we are on that stuff. And then um, globally in 2015, when they signed the Paris Agreement, the projection was that we would warm by four degrees Celsius by the end of the century. We've already gotten down to a projection of three
0: degrees Celsius. Oh, wow. So, again, that's not enough, but it's something. And
1: yeah. I think that's where, I think there's reason to be optimistic just in the fact that it's not like we are starting from square one we have been working on this mm-hmm. we just gotta pick up the pace
0: yeah definitely um I know that the topic of climate change it's not a taboo but it's very very touchy at times just because you don't know where people stand and you don't know kind of know you don't know what to say because some people they don't recycle well, and then some people recycle a lot some people are vegan to help the environment and some people just recycle but they wouldn't go vegan just a lot of different things how do you kind of approach conversations with people that don't completely agree with you know the environment people say that you know the, the climate's fine even though there's like crazy climate conditions everything's fine how do you approach that conversation and how do you kind of you know why do you have a conversation with them and why do you make this effort to make people aware I think it's about meeting people where they are, right? If we step back throughout the politics,
1: yeah. Yeah. a clean air, clean water, healthy climate that isn't flooding your house, yeah.
0: sounds pretty good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so we, we can
1: work with that. And I think depending on what an individual's personal experiences are they may not be inclined to say oh I care about polar bears or Mm -hmm. I care about sea grass or I care about invasive species but they probably care about their jobs and their income and their family and their health and maybe justice in their community or national security Mm -hmm. maybe they care that their house was flooded in a hurricane or uh, some extreme weather event maybe I mean there's so many different angles you can take where I think it can start to become a much more human thing we Mm -hmm. talk about the environment like it's this thing out there when really it's a part of our lives it's the foundation for everything that we
0: are about so I try to I try to be specific but I also
1: try to look at every single aspect of the issue in our podcast and very often you find that the environmental piece is very much aligned with the economic piece, the health, the justice, the security, it's not like environment versus economy in yeah. some boxing match so yeah. um, by kind of breaking it down from all those different angles I think it has the potential to reach a lot more people
0: yeah have you ever um met someone who just completely dismissed the fact or had a conversation with someone that completely dismissed the fact that the climate was changing and was like no everything's fine
1: i've had those conversations but it's hard for me to pinpoint because i like we always end up somewhere yeah in a better place than where we started and it really for me i tend to go into every conversation not necessarily trying to teach but actually trying to learn myself about where that person is coming from and I think that can be exhausting at times especially for some people who are really really frustrated and just want (laughs) to get everyone on the same page as them but ultimately I feel like I learn a lot from just listening and I have friends who are much further left than me and much further right than me and Learning their perspectives gives me a lot of valuable insights, and I feel like having done that since maybe high school. Honestly, I can remember conversations in middle school, <laughs> even um,
0: well, even really when you were really young. Form my style of
1: communication. Where now I'm like, all right, well, what would this friend think about this sentence? What would that friend think? Yeah. About? Like, how can I communicate this in a way that will? Uh, be inclusive to everyone obviously you can't get everybody under one umbrella and that's natural and that's fine but my goal has always been if we can agree on what the problem is Mm -hmm. then that's a great place to start
0: yeah definitely that's really good like a really amazing mindset to have um you said that you've had remember conversations since middle school um I'm not too sure exactly what year that is in terms of We've got different educational systems here in the UK, oh, right. yeah. yeah. But well, um, well, the earliest I'm remembering, um, I don't know how far
1: news travels, but I live in, or I was, uh, grew up in Bethel, Connecticut, which is one town over from Newtown, where there was a, a massacre at an elementary school when I was in, I think I was 13, so that would have been eighth grade. Oh my god! And that sort of was, I mean, it was awful, and uh, it was here like national news sparked a whole national conversation about guns and i remember that was sort of my introduction (laughs) into politics oh wow Um, really dark introduction (laughs)
0: yeah definitely but i think i had a i mean after something like that you can imagine As a 13-year-old was like, all right, no guns.
1: (laughs) (laughs) and I had a friend who him and his dad went hunting all the time. And he was kind of talking about how there's a lot of nuance to the issue. And actually was kind of providing an interesting perspective that I wouldn't have heard otherwise. And I think it was kind of interactions like that where I started to see I don't know everything from my own experiences, and if I can listen to other people I'm going to develop a much better understanding of these issues and so naturally when I started learning about climate change I took a similar approach
0: oh okay um and you said that you spoke about climate change since since middle school like you said so um what kind of struck the passion was it the um the massacre that happened in the other and other I think it was city or, or town or state yeah I think
1: that um sort of got me a little more engaged in politics but climate change I was never an outdoorsy person growing up I was never like out in nature so when I learned about <laughs> climate change probably around then actually I was certainly really scared I was kind of overwhelmed yeah but I didn't find it interesting or fun. It was just like, oh, crap, this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of in this weird place where I wanted to learn more about it. I even tried taking an elective in high school and just didn't enjoy it. And, but I was going to be going to college for film and television. And I was like, if I'm going to be a storyteller, I need a story to tell. Yeah. This seems really important. So I took some college classes, <laughs> and that was when I started to finally find things I found interesting about it and that was largely about the nuance about how there isn't one solution to any one of these problems mm-hmm. there are a variety that can take uh, I mean they can be more left or right solutions or they're not even political they're just yeah. a cool innovation
0: or whatever <laughs> so
1: that kind of excited me and that ultimately led to the communication style I developed where I was thinking all right. If I gave this to me as a ninth grader when I could care less about nature, yeah. would I enjoy this? And hopefully, we're uh, finding that balance.
0: Yeah. Um. You you have a podcast as well, uh, the Sweaty pe- Penguin. Um. How did that start? You know, I know you said, Jenna, you obviously have a passion for climate change. You know, how did you think of the, the name penguin and, and what kind of... Because I know with me, when I started my podcast, it wasn't a, it was a, you know, kind of in-the-moment thing. It took a couple of weeks to kind of think, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do, and, and this is how I want to do it, and this is the logo, this is the name. How did you create that, and uh, how did you know that this was going to be about climate change and this is going to be about change and creating something for the youth so they can go to and kind of be more educated on it and not be scared of climate change to see it as a way to be you know to make a change and make a change for them their own future
1: the name the sweaty penguin came from my dad and he always says you can use it just give me credit anytime <laughs> someone asks you a question so there you go dad um I launched the Sweaty Penguin in the middle of early quarantine, and it was really a case where in addition to developing a climate interest, I ultimately got a dual degree with film and TV and environmental analysis and policy. I also had been the editor in chief of both my high school and college satire publications So I was getting a lot of comedy writing experience uh, through that as well as just enjoying uh, learning a lot about how to run and manage a team. So all of that kind of came together when I had free time for the first time in forever. And I was like, all right, what do I actually want to be doing? And I had wanted for a while to sort of merge my uh, environmental communication that I was developing with my comedy writing because I felt like that could be a way to help make these issues less overwhelming so I was watching uh, some John Oliver, Hassan Minaj and I was like oh this is maybe (laughs) a format I could build off of to do monologues that have a lot of jokes but break down an issue in its entirety and then maybe bring on some professors to talk about their research and that." was where the podcast started I had a team of uh at the time it was just four of us who were also bored during the quarantine <laughs> and we figured it would just be like a fun 10 episodes put out a cool thing but it really started to take off or getting more guests and I felt like we were doing something really special so we've stuck with it we're now over 100 episodes and uh yesterday we uh received our first like recognition as an honoree for the Webby's. Oh so wow! We're uh, checking along. It's been really exciting.
0: Congratulations! I didn't know that. Oh, well done. You. Well done on your team. Yeah, literally
1: just yesterday.
0: Oh, <laughs> did you guys go out and celebrate or do anything quite fun to do that? Well, we're not in the same
1: place, unfortunately. Oh, okay. And, um, we did uh, exchange some very excited texts and
0: social media Oh, that sounds amazing. Um, I wanted to ask the your podcast episode, a podcast show, is there a specific episode that you'd recommend anyone listening to listen to? Maybe it's quite funny or you know, obviously funny, but uh something that you think, you know, that the message was just amazing amazing that you put put out. Yeah, it's
1: always a tricky question (laughs) where I have a great answer and then a few months go by and I'm like "Ah, well we've done more recent ones the one I've been saying for a bit um, our first episode of this latest season was on chocolate and that one was really eye opening to me because it so chocolate is only grown in two countries primarily that it's about two-thirds of the world's chocolate is in Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire so two very small countries in western Africa and they have had issues with deforestation where I think chocolate is the leading cause of deforestation in Cote d'Ivoire and Cote d'Ivoire had the leading deforestation in Africa something like that I can't remember exactly off the top of my head so (laughs) apologies if i messed that up no worries um, we'll
0: listen to it later
1: <laughs> a major concern there and then at the same time there's a major child labor issue in uh chocolate farming and what we found when we got in the depth of the issue is a lot of this stems further along the supply chain where there are these companies called the chocolate traders that buy chocolate from the warehouses in these countries and then sell them to your Hershey, Nestle, uh, Mars, those companies that actually make the chocolate bars and they'll do some, uh, refining or whatever in between. There are only three major, uh, traders and then a few smaller ones, but not many. And what happens is Since there's so few of them, they kind of get to set their own price Uh because who else is going to buy it? Yeah, who else is going to buy it? So that drives the prices down, which ultimately trickles down to the farmers. Mm -hmm. And so the farmers then have to make this choice all right, I need money. So either I'm going to clear more land to grow more cocoa or. I need some extra help. Yeah. And so it's a really tricky thing to it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, these farmers have these horrible practices, but it's kind of out of necessity for them. And the episode, it just really was eye-opening and definitely a harder one to write jokes for, as I'm sure yeah. you can imagine. But yeah, it's uh and it's a great example too of kind of how we approach food because there's just so much out there about, like, oh, this food has this issue, so you can't eat that. Yeah. Whereas for us, it's, no, where does the issue actually come from? Uh-huh. It's not like chocolate is farting methane. Chocolate <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> there's an issue in the supply chain that yeah. could be fixed somehow, and let's figure out how to do that so we can enjoy this as much as we ought to. Yeah. So I recommend that episode. I recommend many, but that's what comes to mind.
0: I'll definitely um, I'll try and find a link to put it on the show notes and then see if everybody like, who's listening can kind of have a listen and, and kind of w- decide whether chocolate's funny or not or if it's that bad, yeah. Um, I think people do that quite a bit, though, don't they? They um, kind of judge one thing as quickly as they possibly can and not investigate, but why is it bad? Do you know what I mean? Why is it like that? Is there anything that I could do... Um, to, to avoid creating more problems on that topic, on that subject. Regarding that, you are our climate expert, so I cannot advise any of the listeners on what to do on this, but is there anything that us as individuals can do to help kind of, you know, help the environment? Obviously, there's recycle, but is there anything else that you'd recommend that sounds, you know, I mean, there's so many things, but it sounds dumb to ask but i know there's just some things that we don't get told and it's very very helpful in the end term
1: yeah there's a bit of a debate in the environmental movement about the role for individual action there are some people who feel uh every individual has to be engaged and it's all of our collective responsibilities there's others who feel uh some Uh, a small number of corporations are responsible for the majority of emissions and talking about individuals is deflecting from the problem. Mm -hmm. I land somewhere in between there. I think either of those is a little much. Yeah. But ultimately, where I see individual action having the most potential is when it can spur
0: more community-level change. Okay.
1: So... On that end, I put together kind of my five uh, key things for individuals, given that uh, I got to ask this question so much, so I'll (laughs) run through them for you. Okay. Uh, First is to find low-hanging fruit, so things like, I don't know, whatever's easiest for you, if it's turning off the lights when you leave the house, if Mm -hmm. it's... uh, if you're not a big meat eater, you can cut back on that a little bit. I'm yeah. not a big uh, fashion person, so I'll wear my clothes until they're ripping with holes, <laughs> and then I'll make it a pajama shirt, and then i yeah. <laughs> buy new clothes all that often. So it, it really depends on what's easy for you. If you love fashion, then by all means, do mm-hmm. what you gotta do. Um, but to me, it feels like if you make too many personal sacrifices, it's like dieting. You just fall off the wagon. Yeah. Whereas these actions are not going to change the world on their own Mm -hmm. but they can have potential if other people notice that you're doing them and they maybe feel inspired to join you so that's where I feel like find low-hanging fruit give yourself credit for anything that you're already doing Mm -hmm. um and go from there uh the second one is to do your research a lot of sort of trendy green products or green solutions are actually not um, as effective as they may seem Uh, the example I like to use is if your car is reasonably fuel efficient it will have a lower climate impact to continue driving your car to the end of its life than to switch to the new electric car immediately because the amount of inputs that go into building a new car has a climate impact of its own so, very often we just assume, like, oh, this is the, this is the best thing, yeah. Jump on this. And that leads to this whole other conversation about gas prices. I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of really nuanced, interesting things like that. And I think the Sweaty Penguin is a great place where you can kind of learn some of those things. Um, third would be to uplift others who do good things. There's a big thing in the US with uh, vegan bashing, where people just don't like vegans. Really? I'm personally a, someone who eats meat, so mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where my role in this is, <laughs> but I personally feel like if someone's vegan, they're doing us a solid by <laughs> yeah having a more sustainable diet, so why bash them for it? Mm-hmm. Um, there's this stereotype, I guess, that vegans are condescending, but I personally have not found that to be the case but whatever it may be there's i mean there's plenty of other things like you could easily make fun of my fashion choices (laughs) or what have you and i think it's better to uh make sure people feel good about uh any actions they're taking yeah Uh, my fourth one is to use your voice um for a lot of people that could be volunteering or activism but that really wasn't a good fit for me i just love nuance so much that I couldn't put one thing on a sign and feel good about it yeah I also just don't love crowds and loud noises but I found that as a writer and a storyteller I could find my voice through this podcast and through writing about the environment and for some people it might be doing something at your office or in your home Mm -hmm. or really whatever feels right for you and then my last one and this I would say is my most important one is to talk to someone you disagree with. And it doesn't even have to be about the environment. But uh, for example, here in the US, we had a period from about 1970 to 1976 where we passed the Clean Water Act, Endangered Species Act, National Environmental Policy Act, uh, established the Environmental Protection Agency, all this major legislation at once that is still the major environmental legislation that protects our environment here today. Mm -hmm. And in that period, we had a Democratic Congress and Republican presidents. So they had to agree on what the problems were. They obviously didn't agree on everything, but people were largely on the same page. It was not too long after uh, Rachel Carson published the book Silent Spring and then there was a oil spill and so people kind of had this collective concern about the environment at the time that spurred this action so to get back to that level of collective concern yeah there's got to be some way to push past the amount of polarization we have right now it's one of those things where uh liberals and conservatives don't only not talk to each other, but they actively dislike each other. And I understand that if you feel that someone has that different of a worldview than yours, but even like, you don't have to be friends, but just having a conversation, even if it's about sports or movies or something, Mm -hmm. I think pushes us in a better direction. So those are my five things. Sorry that, uh, rambled a little bit. No, 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 don't worry. uh, Helpful for people.
0: No, definitely, I think there's such, when it comes to the environment, it's so daunting to think that, you know the world's future depends on you as an individual or a massive company that you have no control over as someone who's like one individual and living by themselves or living wherever and you don't even know where this company is who it is who it's run by and the fact that you know you're saying that start slowly and appreciate what you're doing it really does make it less daunting because you know these little steps even though they're small they do make a difference and I think it's hard it's like it's easy to forget that it's easy to forget that you I don't know cutting back on me if you don't like me wearing a shirt to its pajamas and you know even though it's like really really bad um it's completely fine if you're making that conscious
1: effort for change yeah, and it doesn't even have to be for that like yeah to me i think half of why i don't buy new clothes much is to save money yeah like it, it can be very yeah. easy honestly most climate solutions are also ones that save money yeah because climate change is really about efficiency yeah right it's about um first off you save money by not having to clean up hurricanes and wildfires but beyond that you think about if you're Heating or air conditioning in your home is working properly. It will cost you less on your bill and it will use less energy, which in turn helps the climate. Even solar and wind are becoming increasingly the cheapest energy sources on the market. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these steps are very much economically and environmentally in tandem. So, in that sense, I feel like if you take these actions for whatever reason you want,
0: then sure pat yourself on the back a little bit you help the climate too climate. yeah yeah definitely alright um, that's definitely covered all of my questions um, but quickly I'd like to ask because um, I'd like to ask really deep questions and make, make my guests feel quite uncomfortable in, in case you can tell <laughs> um, please do <laughs> um, if you could give yourself any advice when you going through a really difficult time where you just got really stressed about the climate and you kind of lost hope because I know a lot of us right now considering everything that's going around in the world it's hard to have hope in the environment and in the future and you know believe that in 10 years there will actually be species alive that aren't you know endangered and you know we'll we'll be able to see white rhinos again one day hopefully and you know there will be some type of hope for the better future is there anything that you'd say that you think could help anyone that's kind of feeling this type of way right now just to give them a little bit of you know faith
1: (laughs) yeah it's an important question because I firmly believe in giving hope, but not giving false hope. Mm -hmm. And so I take this very seriously. Um, With that said, I would say that we have to keep this in context. We hear a lot about stopping climate change. And that's just not a feasible goal to give ourselves. It's here right now. It has happened. We're observing it what we can do is figure out what kind of future we can create for ourselves in a somewhat changed climate that is as similar to what we have right now as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're all still alive right now. We, we can live in a 1.1 degrees Celsius warm <laughs> yeah. climate. Um, most regions of the world can if it's 1.5, which is the kind of international target. But if we think about it as how can we create a future that is livable that we can and I don't like the word livable very much because it makes it sound like the alternative is extinction which it's not it just starts to get really messy and expensive (laughs) and uh, that's no fun but we can absolutely look at a lot of different solutions we can look at cutting carbon emissions via clean energy sources solar and wind like I said or coming increasingly cheap you don't have to worry about these uh, crazy fossil fuel dynamics going on in the world right now so it can help with national security it's uh, got a lot of benefits even outside of climate and then you can look to uh, adaptation solutions things like uh, whether it's moving people or whether it's things like seawalls or jetties or uh, drought resistant crops or what have you there are so many different solutions in that space Mm -hmm. and then uh there's also a lot of solutions out there in terms of capturing carbon we just did a capturing uh, carbon capture episode on friday which where i broke down 10 different ways that we are able to suck carbon out of the air and put it back underground or somewhere else and i think six of those 10 were like oh trees or algae or (laughs) it's not all Industrial machines although those actually do have some uh, pros as compared to the natural ones as well so it's a really diverse pool of solutions that are out there they can be implemented through regulations or through market forces or through innovation or like there's so many ways you can manage it as well so i hope people don't lose hope in the sense that we can make this better and as long as we just stop talking about the idea of we're going to stop climate change and fix everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We can absolutely come to an outcome where we feel better about the situation and uh, we can resume lives as close to what we have now as possible.
0: That's amazing. I I never thought of it in that way. You know, it's always like you either you fix it or you don't. There's no in between. Yeah, it's really good to have that type of mindset well thank you so so much for joining us today um I know that a lot of people are gonna love this podcast episode because it's so scary the environment and the fact that you know you you see all this scary stuff and it's so amazing that someone like you can kind of bring a new mindset to it and be like hey just to let you know it's not gonna disappear off the face of the earth it's there but let's acknowledge that it's there and kind of you know move forward from that so thank you so so much for joining us today it's amazing to have you on the podcast and um congratulations again on the uh, accomplishment that you and your team made thanks
1: for having me Isabel this was a lot of fun and hopefully uh if people want to check us out we're at uh, the we're on apple spotify google podcast wherever you get your podcasts um and if you want to support us even further uh, we have a patreon page uh, patreon.com slash which has merch bonus content and a whole bunch of other cool stuff so i hope
0: you will check us out and yeah thanks again for having me no worries thank you so much